Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Well, we uh, are living in some uh, interesting times here in the world. Uh, this coronavirus has everybody wondering, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Panic has, has hit the, the local HEB and the Walmart as we're all afraid we're going to run out of toilet paper. Uh, y'all do know this is a respiratory infection, right? It doesn't affect your bowels, okay? I just want y'all to know that. But, but the, the, you can look at this in two ways. Our government, right or wrong, our government has said their number one goal right now is to keep Americans safe. And so they've asked us to do some things, you know, to kind of social distance ourselves. And, and uh, you know, the introverts, man, you are, you are loving this. Yeah, you are loving this. You are given permission not to interact with anyone. Uh, so uh, this is what our government is saying, you know, right or wrong. They say this is what we're trying to do. And then you have the individual. The individual says, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to protect me from your illnesses. That's why we go to Walmart or we go to HEB. We buy up all the toilet paper, all the hand sanitizer, because we don't care if you have it as long as we're safe, as long as we're protected from your nasty germs. That's why we buy up everything. It's a focus. We're focused upon one thing. The government's focused on keeping you safe and you as an individual is focused on, I'm going to keep myself safe from this. Now, let's twist that around, look at that, and let's look at this from a spiritual perspective. Did you know that if you apply that in your spiritual perspective, say that you focus on one thing according to Jesus, that you will be happy? You will be happy. That's what we've been looking at, trying to find happiness. We know it's an elusive butterfly. We can't quite track it down. We can't quite find it. But we know happiness is out there somewhere. So we pursue it in a variety of ways, never really finding it, just like that elusive butterfly. We've been looking at the Beatitudes of our Lord under the heading, In Pursuit of the Elusive Butterfly. Today we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and we're going to look at it under the, under the heading, Finding Happiness in a Single Purpose. Finding Happiness in a Single Purpose. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? When he said, Oh, how happy are those who are pure in heart. What did he mean by that? Well, in order to understand, you have to understand the word pure. The word pure uh, is, is a word that means unmixed. It means unadulterated or undivided. We use the word today to define pure gold or pure sugar. What that means, it's not contaminated by something else. It's free of those things. It's uncontaminated. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are not contaminated by other things. Blessed are those who are undivided in what they're doing in life. So the pure in heart means that you're not divided inside yourself. You're not at war with yourself, saying you have a single purpose, a single focus. Instead of the shotgun approach, you're rifling in on what you need to be doing. 
James chapter 1 verse 7 says, the pure in heart are not double-minded and unstable in all they do. He says they do not waffle, they do not waver in their convictions, but they're focused and they stay in the right direction that they're supposed to be doing. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian of, uh, of a previous generation, he wrote a book entitled, Purity of Heart is the Will One Thing. That's not a bad way to say it. Purity of heart is the will one thing. But let's be honest. How often do we have single purpose? How often do we really focus on one thing? Even the best we do is tarnished with motives. Even if they're not, they're not bad motives. Uh, let's take me as an example. When I stand up to preach the Word, I have a goal. In case you don't know what the goal is, my goal is to challenge you to grow spiritually and to challenge you to be all you can be in Christ Jesus. So I'm constantly pushing you to be more than you are. Uh, so that's my goal. But can I tell you that I have, a, I have other goals as well? You know, I have a goal that, uh, you know, I'd like, I'd like to be able to use my gift and feel satisfaction from using the gift that God has given to me. Uh, and can I tell you this? I'd kind of like you to like me. You know, when I preach, I'd kind of like you to like me. Hey, I like our preacher. He's doing okay. Thumbs up, preacher. That a boy. You know, we like that. And there is another motive. I know that I get paid to do this, and so I want to make sure that I earn my money. Now, I'm not proud of those motives. You know, I try to get rid of them, but I recognize they're out there. That's why every Sunday before I come in this auditorium, I say the same prayer Every Sunday, I say, Lord, speak through your broken vessel. Speak through me. Let me decrease so that you might increase. But the, you know, here's the thing. I have these motives, but I think I'm in pretty good company. Because every one of us have motives, whether they're good or bad. We have motives for everything we do. So Jesus says, because of that, we're probably not really happy. Because he said, a man is happy when he has a single purpose, when he has a single focus, when he's able to focus on one thing. So I think that's why this beatitude is so difficult to grasp. It's so hard for us to understand. We throw up our hands in despair and say, we can't do this. There's no way we can do this. It's impossible to achieve. You know, life itself dictates that we have many roles or many purposes in life. Examine your own life. How many hats do you wear? How many roles do you have? Think of myself. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. You know, I'm a neighbor. I'm a friend. I'm a colleague. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm an administrator. I'm an evangelist. I'm a witness. You know, I, I'm a citizen. And I could go on and on. I've got all these different hats to wear. How in the world can I focus on one thing when I've got all these different responsibilities? And I've got all these roles that I have to fill. It makes it almost impossible to do that. But the fact of the matter is, life forces us to have many different purposes. That's the way life is. And so we look at what Jesus said, blessed are those who have a single purpose, a single focus. Blessed are the pure in heart. And we say it's difficult to find happiness because we're so mixed at what we do. But Jesus says, blessed is the man who wears one hat. Blessed is the person who finds fulfillment in one role. Blessed is the man who does not have an undivided heart. 
Blessed is a person. Happy is a person who has a single purpose. And if you're like me, you throw your hands up in frustration. He said, this is impossible. Why is that? Why is that? Because we have a fear of commitment. If we make a commitment to one thing, that means other things have to be excluded or at least not given priority. So if we choose to focus on one thing, that means excluding other things. My generation has a hard problem with this. You know, we really struggle with this because we got so many things on our plate. So how do we achieve a single purpose? That's the question we have to ask. How do we achieve a single purpose? I think the first thing we need to look at is how not to achieve a single purpose. You don't achieve a single purpose by telling yourself to stop thinking of something else. David Siemens, in a book I read, he told the story of a man who made a fortune by selling a powder to people that if they mixed it with water, it would turn into gold. But then he told him, he says, but when you mix the powder with the water, you cannot think of red monkeys. Because if you think of red monkeys, it will not work. Now, nobody ever made any gold because it's impossible not to think about red monkeys. You just can't do it. The very thing, okay, I'm going to mix this, but I'm not going to think of red monkeys. I'm not going to think of red monkeys. And all you can think about is red monkeys. You can't get it out of your mind. And it's the same way with anything else you do in life. You sit there and say, okay, I'm going to do this, but I don't want to do that. I can't think about this. Oh, I'm thinking about that. You can't do it. So Jesus says you, you can't tell yourself not to think of something. So it, it, this applies to our life. If we try to achieve a single purpose by telling ourselves not to think of certain things, we would discover that that's all we can think about. So how do we do it? How do we achieve a single purpose? Here's how you do it. You focus your attention on something big enough to unite a divided heart. You focus your attention on something big enough to unite a divided heart. There is something that we can focus on. Or better yet, there is someone. There is someone who, who's big enough to unify our hearts that can make us pure in heart. You know who that is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We focus on Him. So Jesus is telling us the pure in heart look to Jesus. The pure in heart keep their focus on Jesus. He's the object of their, their single-mindedness. They do not allow other things to distract them or to deter them from that. And so when they, when they focus on Jesus, they enjoy the freedom of being captivated by Jesus Christ. You see, what they have in mind is not as important as what Jesus has in mind. What they want to do is not as important as what Jesus wants them to do. What, what they want to accomplish is not as important as what Jesus wants to accomplish through them and even through a church. Because everything else is secondary. The only thing that matters is Christ, Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. But how does this play out in, in, in the real life? How does this play out in the everyday course of life? How does my focus on Jesus help me since I have so many roles or so many hats to wear in life? Let's consider the life of Jesus. How many roles did Jesus play? How many hats did Jesus 
where? Well, he was a son, he was a brother, he was a carpenter, he was a citizen, he was a neighbor, he was a friend, he was a teacher, he was a preacher, he was an evangelist, he was a miracle worker, he was the Messiah. He had a lot of different hats to wear, a lot of different roles to play. So how did he take one off and put the other on? Or how did he stay focused on what he needed to do? In many ways, listen, Jesus had the same responsibilities that you have. He had some of the same relationships that you had. But yet he maintained a single focus. He never got sidetracked. He never became distracted. What did he do? This is what Jesus said. He said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what he was all about. That was his vision state. He said, my will, my goal, my purpose is to do the will of him who sent me and finish what he told me to do. And so he directed his life toward that goal. Even though he had many responsibilities, he never became distracted from what he was called to do, what his mission was, what his purpose was. He never became sidetracked. By focusing on Jesus, it helps us to realize that we can have a single purpose. It is possible. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So everything we do, we're to do for God's glory, no matter what it is. That's our single purpose. That's our focus. And we cannot have a divided heart and say, we're doing this for Jesus, but we're going to do this over here for others. Jesus did it. Jesus was able to accomplish that. So no matter what hat you wear, no matter what responsibility you have, you can do it. How do you do that? I don't know if we have any farmers in here, but if you are a farmer, here's what you say. I'm going to farm for the glory of God. If you're a businessman, you say, I'm going to do conduct my business for the glory of God. If you're a teacher, you say, I'm going to teach my students for the glory of God. If you're a student, you say, I'm going to do my studying. I'm going to do my learning for the glory of God. If I'm a politician, boy, this is a novel idea. If I'm a politician, I'm going to do all my politicking to the, for the glory of God. You're keeping your focus on the way it needs to be going. If you're retired, a couple of you in here, if you're retired, you say, I'm going to use my retirement to bring glory to God. You've changed your entire focus on what you're trying to do and the way you live your life. So how does my focus on Jesus help me to live in this way? Let me see if I can illustrate this by a painting that I have in my office. Nothing fancy about it. It's a little white church in the Texas hill country surrounded by blue bonnets. Nothing spectacular about it. And if you look at the picture, you say, oh, that's a nice little picture. But if you, if you gaze at the picture and you really take it in, what you see within the picture are pictures hidden within the picture. You know, for instance, you're going to, I had to write them down so I could remember what they were. You see an open Bible in the stones in there, reminding us that the Word of God is to be central in the church. 
You see a rolled away stone reminding us of the resurrection and the hope that we have in Christ. And then you, you, you see a, a dove in, in the tree reminding us of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but also in the church where we worship. Over in the tree, you see a baptismal service taking place. And then you see a cup reminding us of the, the ordinance of a baptism in the Lord's Supper. And then you see out in the front, you see, see people forming a prayer circle, reminding us that prayer is essential for what we do at the church. And out in front of them, there's a person witnessing to an individual, reminding us that, that we are to be witnessing to people in this life. And then on the hillside, there's a cross made out of stones, reminding us of the death that Jesus paid upon the cross. And then finally, up in the clouds, you see the image of Jesus saying His presence is with us always to the very end of the age. Now, you wouldn't see that if you just looked at the picture. But as you look at it, as you gaze at it, you begin to take in the majesty and you begin to see things you've never seen before. That's the way it works in our life. And Jesus tells us if we will focus on Him, if we will put all of our attention on Him, we will see things that we've never seen before. He told His followers in John 14 this, anyone who has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show Me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, that the Father is in Me? The words I say to you are not just My own. Rather, it's the Father living in Me who is doing His work. So by totally focusing on Jesus Christ, Jesus says the pure in heart will see God. We will see His character, we will see His purpose, and we will see what God is doing in the world when we focus on Jesus and Him alone. We will see that. You see, you cannot see much of anything when you're looking in two different directions. You can't do it. You have to keep your focus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your, your gaze on Jesus and your glance at the world, but keep your gaze on Jesus. So Jesus tells us, oh, how happy are those who have a single purpose, a single focus, for they will see God. I think when He says they will see God, it has a present aspect, but it also has a future aspect to it as well. Let's look at this from a, a, a see God in the present. How can we see God in the present? When you're focusing on God, you've opened your eyes to God's self-revelation in Christ. And then when others see only ordinary history, you see the activity of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God just woke up one morning and discovered the coronavirus? Like, you know, like God sleeps. The Bible says He does not sleep nor does he slumber. But let's just suppose that God woke up one morning and said, oh my goodness, the coronavirus here, what am I going to do? But you see, when you look at things through the eyes of God, you say, God is doing something here that we can't understand. Maybe this is a way He's going to bring people into the kingdom. Maybe this is a way that He can get their focus back where it needs to be instead of themselves. Maybe they say, is their eternal destiny secure? We don't know. But God is not caught off guard by this. So instead of seeing what's happening, we try to look at this through the eyes of Christ and see what's going on with that. When other people see only pain in their life, those that look through the eyes of faith see the testing of God say, God, what are you trying to teach me here? What's going on here? 
When other people just see the mysteries of creation and can't understand all the creation, those who look through the eyes of faith, we see the creativity of God. And we see what God is doing in the world. When other people look at the church and they see faltering man-made religious institutions, we see the people of God whom God loves and gave His life up for. And when others see just somebody standing up and giving a, a speech, others see the proclaimed Word of God. You see, it affects the way you look at things when you start looking at it through a, a, a godly way. And when people see all the diversities of human love, those who have the eyes of faith, we see behind that the love of God. We see the love of God being exemplified in people's lives. So they see God in the present. In everything going on, we see we see God's handiwork and what God is doing. But he also says that we will see God. There's a future context to that as well. Those that are looking to God in the future say they are looking for the fulfillment of their prayer by kingdom come. Because you're looking for the fulfillment of God's kingdom. So you're, you're looking for that in your prayers. You know, if you look at the page of the New Testament, you discover that the New Testament has a familiar scene in it. The familiar scene is that Jesus is going to come back someday and He's going to take with Him all of those who are pure in heart. And they will get to see God permanently. They will get to see Him. This is a familiar theme throughout the New Testament. Jesus is coming again. And He's going to take the pure in heart back with Him. Paul said it this way. He said, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. We look forward to that time. We look forward to that time that we'll see God face to face and we get to experience the joy of our salvation because we've had our focus in the right place. At that moment when we stand before God, the veil will be pulled back and we will see Him in all His glory and all His splendor. Everything that obscures our vision right now will be wiped away. And those who have kept their eyes on Jesus Christ, those who, who have faithfully served Him and loved Him and given their life to Him, they will behold the glory of God. And the Scriptures promise us that those who look to Jesus Christ, they will gain an eternal audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Creator of the universe. So because we know that's what's going to happen, we should gather our thoughts and we should gather our attention to Jesus Christ Himself. And we should be focusing on Him. And we should be getting ourselves ready for that time that we will see God. When I served in the Navy, our ship pulled into Monte Carlo, Monaco. Now for you young pups, that won't mean anything to you. But for you older folks, that's where Grace Kelly married Prince Rainier and became known as Princess Grace. So we pulled into Monaco and they were going to go uh, take a three-hour boat ride, a ship ride, down to the next town over, Villafranc in France. And so we knew this was going to happen, so we got ourselves ready. We always kept the ship pretty spotless, 
But because we were about to meet Prince Rainier and Princess Grace, we went a little overboard in that. We waxed all the floors where we could see our face in the wax. We, we cleaned everything. We put fresh paint on everything. It's almost like rolling out the red carpet without the red carpet. And then we had to learn proper protocol. How do you greet a prince and a princess? Now, they were king and queens, but they just called them prince and princess. Okay? They were the rulers of the little, little place called Monaco. And so how do you greet them? So we had to learn the proper format. I was invited to be on the, co on the, on the honor guard that honored them when they came in. So I had to make sure that my, my uniform was nicely pressed. My medals were all spit, spit shine, the one medal that I had at the time. It had to really look good. And I had to learn how to properly salute the, the, when they came on board. Everything had to be done precisely a certain way. Why? Because we were getting ready to meet the prince and princess of Monaco. Not to mention it was Grace Kelly. Okay, Not to mention that. In the same way, someday, my friends, we're going to see the King of Kings in the Board of Lords. Shouldn't we be getting ready to do that now? Shouldn't we be getting ourselves right now? Knowing how we ought to behave, how we ought to act, how we ought to look, so that we won't be caught off guard when that time comes. We should prepare ourselves now for the fulfillment of our one desire to see Him face to face. That should be our goal. That should be what we're all about. So we got to get our house in order. we got to get our spiritual house in order. we got to focus our thoughts. we got to, we got to discipline in our lives to have a single focus, a single purpose to be pure in heart. Not contaminated by what the world has to say. And what you discover about this, this beatitude as many of the Beatitudes do, it moves in a circular motion. He says as you, as you maintain that single focus, you're going to see Jesus moving in the world around you, and then you're eventually going to see God, and you're encouraged by that. And because you know you're going to see God, it leads you to focus more and more on Jesus, which turn in turn gives you more motivation to keep your focus the way it is, which means you're going to see Jesus more and more, and it just keeps going bigger and bigger and bigger. Because you're experiencing the joy of your salvation. And Jesus says, when you do this, when you become pure in heart, when you have a, a, a single focus, He says, that's when you're going to be happy. He says, oh, how happy are those who have a single focus. Because they will see God. Is what He says. So let me ask you a question. Are you focusing on Jesus? I mean, really, really, ask yourself right where you're sitting, are you really focusing on Jesus? Are you really attuned to what He wants you to do? How He wants you to live your life? Because until you can do that, you're going to be so confused and so messed up, you really won't enjoy life to the fullest. And Jesus said, I came to give life, life to the fullest. But in order to do that, you've got to stay focused. God created you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what you need. Find it in Jesus and focus on Him. And according to Jesus, according to God's Word, you'll be happy. You've got to avoid the distractions of the world. 
You will never be happy until you spend your time on one purpose. So you have to decide today to live your life with a single purpose. Focus on Jesus. That's why our mission statement here at Western Heights, it's really, really complicated. Exalt Christ. Exalt Christ. Exalt Christ. Exalt Christ. And we'll equip the church to do what? To engage the community so they can do what? Exalt Christ. Exalt Christ. Exalt Christ.